Hey, y'all, thanks for tuning in to the Weird One Podcast. This space, it's a collection of talks ranging anywhere from sermons from our ministry, creative thoughts, breakout sessions at things like Weird One Conference, as well as some inside scoops on leadership. We hope it helps you. If you want to keep up to date with everything Weird One, you can go to weareoneyouth.com or follow us on social at WAO Youth. We hope you're blessed. That while... Apollos was at Corinth. Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And that answers a lot of questions right there. Like, when you believe upon the Lord Jesus, what happens? You receive the Holy Spirit. That's that's like an answer to that question. They answered, though, no. We've never even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So word from what happened in Acts chapter 2 never made its way to them here in Ephesus. So Paul asks, then what baptism did you receive? Because they're called disciples. They were followers. But what baptism did you receive, he says? They go, John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism, this is John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, who was baptizing in the wilderness, in the Jordan River. He says, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. He's like, all that you got was John's baptism? Oh, man, I got good news to tell you. There's a lot better than John the Baptist. I'm about to tell you about his cousin, Jesus. And on hearing this, they received this message. The Bible says that they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They received it. They're like, okay, it ain't saying all this, but they received that Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, Jesus is the life, Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the one who was prophesied about that John the Baptist said was on the way coming. They received it and they're baptized in water. So then it says, when Paul placed his hands on them to pray with them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. There wasn't a formula for this in the book of Acts. We now know how this works. We're able to understand that when they would lay hands, that there would be an exchange of a presence of God, an anointing, an impartation, you would call it, where people could receive power through the Holy Spirit. We can understand now that people can call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and anyone that does it can be saved. They didn't know that yet. In Acts 19, they were living a life trying to stay from away from sin because they had repented of their sin according to a baptism of John. But they didn't understand that Jesus was the one that ultimately could fully forgive them and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So simply, Paul just places his hands. He's like, okay, so they get it. Cool. Places his hands on them, and then the Holy Spirit shows up. And it wasn't like, I'm going to pray for you right now so you can speak in other tongues or so you can prophesy or so you can manifest any of what 1 Corinthians 12 says are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. See, we know that now. We're able to now step into that. Then... All that he did was like, oh, this is great. They came to know Jesus. And next thing you know, their tongue's rolling and they're spitting out words that don't make any sense to humanity because it's a heavenly language as the Bible teaches us. And just like happened in Acts chapter 2, it happened here. Just like happened in Acts chapter 10, it happened here. I can keep going. 
I can go Acts 8. I can keep going. I can show you account after account where it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And right here, Acts 19, it's a major marker for the Christian church. For those that would try to argue against whether or not speaking in tongues could happen and if that's how do you know if somebody's filled or baptized in the Holy Spirit? What's the evidence? Right here, very simply, they laid their hands on them, not praying for anything specific, just to pray now with brothers in the faith, 12 of them. And they began to speak in other tongues. And they began to prophesy. And the Lord said, it'd just be a shame if you read this text and if you didn't give an opportunity for people tonight to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to call you right now out of your seat. I want you to line up across this. I'm going to lay my hands on you right now. If you want to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, if you want to speak in other tongues, if you want that dunamis power, it's translated from the Greek. You know what it means? Dynamite power. It's the kind of power that demons are scared of. It's the kind of power that makes heaven tremble. It's the kind of power that brings healing and breakthrough. And if you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, get out of your seat right now. I want you to come stand right here. And you're saying, that's me. I want the touch of heaven on my life. I want the Holy Spirit to encounter me right now. I want to receive the fullness. Just line up straight across here. This is how we're going to start. Just kind of spread with me. Spread with me all the way across. Oh, come on, somebody. This is amazing. Give a hand for these people that are going to get touched by God. We're going to come right out of the gate. And keep, just keep pressing in so I can get to you. So I can get to you here. So the Bible teaches us that there's a couple reasons why we lay hands on people when we pray. You know what one of them is? to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. That's one of them. It's that when I lay my hands on you, it's not what I have to give, but it is in faith and impartation. It's not giving it from me. It's giving it from the Holy Spirit. But what I'm telling you is that if I have, have it, you can have it. And so when I lay my hands on you, it is an agreement in faith that what God has done for me, he will do it for you. And whether or not he does it today is up to him. But I'm going to believe in faith that as we just open this scripture, as we just read now in Acts 19, just, a, just seven verses, that if he could do it with a bunch of people that knew nothing, you understand this? In Ephesus, they knew nothing of the Holy Spirit. They knew nothing of the baptism of Jesus. They knew nothing about all of the story that the Apostle Paul came to tell them. They didn't have to know. That's the thing is you don't have to know how to get it. You just have to be willing to get it. You don't have to know exactly how it all works. You just have to be willing to let it work. So if you're here tonight, uh, in the room, and we're just going to believe as the saints of God, we're going to partner with you, but I'm going to believe tonight that as I lay my hands on you, and I'm not going to do anything extra or special, or it's not going to be like perfect words. It's like, oh, finally, they got it, because I prayed the perfect prayer. That's not how this works. This is just going to be in faith. I'm going to agree with you that there's going to be an impartation, meaning that when I place my hands on you, it's nothing to do with me, but as I was 21 years old, and I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I began to speak in other tongues, and I was filled with that power. I'm going to talk a little bit about tonight what happens and why you want that power, but I'm preaching the choir because you're already here, but I'm going to tell you, we need it. We want it. We got to have it. You ready to receive it? So I want you now, right now, to just in English, open your mouth and begin. We're just going to begin to worship the Lord. Just open your mouth and begin to worship Him. I, I want you to out loud, verbally, move that tongue and begin to worship Him across this place. We're just going to begin to worship Him. It's not what you say. It's just you can say His name. You can talk about right now just who He is. You can talk about what He's done for you. You can just declare that you're saved and forgiven and you've been touched by God. And we're going to keep that tongue moving right now because it's a posture of right now believing and receiving. So I just begin to say right now in the name of Jesus, receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit right now. Be baptized right now in the Holy Spirit. 
not by what I give, but Holy Spirit, by what you give. Not because of who I am, but Holy Spirit, because of who you are. And I just come and I partner in faith with every single person that's up here. That Lord, by the time they're walking away, we believe it can be today. We believe that you can do it right now in the awesome mighty name of Jesus. That right now they're gonna walk away praying not only in English anymore, but they're gonna have a new language that's gonna be, Lord, full in their belly, full, Lord, top to bottom, that that tongue is beginning begin to utter right now what only the Holy Spirit has to give. Only needs one touch from heaven. Only needs one touch from heaven. So Holy Spirit, come right now. Just one touch from heaven. Come right now. One touch from heaven right now. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Tonight's your night. I'm going to pass through here. Be baptized right now with the Holy Spirit. Come on, keep talking to him. If you got English to give, then you give him what you got until he gives you more. He's not asking for you to give him what you don't have. He's asking for you to give him what you do have. So I just say right now, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come and touch every single one of these children, every single one of your children, every single one of your kids. You love us. You're a good father. You love us so much. You love us so much. You love us so much that you give your one and only son, Jesus, for us. And Jesus, you love us so much, I can't even imagine this, that you would leave so the Holy Spirit could come. So Holy Spirit, come right now. Just one touch from heaven. Just one touch from heaven. One touch from heaven. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be baptized. Head to toe, all around, within submerged overflowing right now with the holy spirit holy spirit come and move holy spirit come and move we thank you for what you give us through tongues but i also thank you that you give us many gifts i thank you as we just read here in acts 19 that they not only spoke in tongues but they prophesied I thank you that you give us gifts of visions and, and, and revelation, Lord, through wisdom. I thank you that, Father, you give us interpretation and you give us all of the gifts. We said today that you're going to move. But before today, we said this year that there was going to be fresh gifts, dangerous gifts that come from the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, across this place, for the first time or again and again, would you baptize your people? And we invite you right now. We invite you. Come on, lift your voice across this place. Let's just right now with our voices, fill the room. Fill the room. Fill the room. Fill the room. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. This sermon is for you. This time and this moment is for you. This night is for you. This ministry is for you. Holy Spirit, set us on fire. Holy Spirit, set us ablaze for your glory. I pray that you would set this fire deep inside of us that Lord we could not help but for the rest of our days be unashamed and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord I pray that you'd place courage deep inside of people through the power of the Holy Spirit I pray that you'd give words and fresh revelation deep inside of people through the power of the Holy Spirit I ask that the witness of Jesus the testimony of Jesus would come alive and be set on fire deep inside of us tonight that we as you said Jesus would be your witnesses 
We ask that, Lord, as we saw in Acts chapter 2, where there was tongues of fire, that you would set our tongues on fire for your glory here tonight. That you would set our hearts on fire for your glory. You'd set our lungs on fire for your glory, that when people breathe, when they live, move, have their being, Lord, they breathe in Jesus. Everything that has breath, praise the Lord. I just see that there are lungs on fire breathing and praising the Lord as they leave here. That, Lord, those that were breathing in substances or things that were hurting their lungs, no more. Their lungs now are on fire for you, King Jesus. And they're healed and they're fresh and they're new. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you to breathe upon this place. Breathe like it says in the book of John happened when Jesus stood among the disciples. Breathe like you did in Acts chapter 2. Breathe like you did in Acts 19 where it says that when Paul simply laid his hands on them, breathe, come and move, come and move, come and move, come and move. We're going to keep praying one prayer to the end of this year. We're going to make it loud. We're going to make it clear. And we're going to make it simple tonight. Before I do, I just want to give a couple instructions and then we're going to pray and we're going to make it simple. If you're in this room tonight, I want to let you know that God has worked. God will continue to work. But I want you to understand the most important piece in the night, that God is working. Many times we look to see what we hope he's done and we look to see what we believe he's going to do. But I want you to know what he's doing right now. All throughout this message, it might be like Acts chapter 10. Before I can even get to the end of it, the Holy Spirit's going to start stirring inside of you. I just want you to know that he's moving and he's working on you. And I don't, I don't say that like metaphorically and I don't say that as like, as like a, hopefully a good catchphrase to make you feel good or something. He's working. No, I'm telling you, he's working. I sense him here tonight. He's working in you. And what he honors is faith and obedience. Faith and obedience move the heart of God. So you did too tonight. In obedience, I gave you the call and you responded. And in faith, you got out of your seat and you stood here. And in faith and belief, you responded saying, I'm going to go forward and I believe that Jesus can touch me. So I want you throughout the rest of this night. I don't want you to be like, well, I, it, didn't, it didn't happen yet or that is how it works or whatever. And I, I know I could start asking, who did he feel and who did, who did he not feel? It doesn't matter. It, it just doesn't matter. Because he's going to do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. I prayed that I would receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit, a baptism in the Holy Spirit. I prayed it from the age of 13, and I was filled when I was 21. What God is looking for is open and humble hearts. What God is looking for is obedient souls. What God is looking for is a faith-filled people. If you're full of faith, that means the Holy Spirit dwells in you because you can't have faith without the Holy Spirit. And so if you already now have faith, that means the Holy Spirit is already within you because you've said yes to Jesus. Now I want you to understand that if you just will keep saying yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit will say yes to you. If you say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit will never say no to you. Because the Holy Spirit has to follow along with who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit exalts and points to who Jesus is, the Son of God. As Jesus points to the Father, the Holy Spirit points to the Son. Do you understand? So we're just going to pray a very simple prayer. And across this place, we're going to shout it, and then we're going to get into the message. You ready? Lift your hands across this place. Powerful prayer, but it's simple. Somebody say, Jesus. Come on, say it with some authority. Say, Jesus, keep us dangerous. I'm going to have you say it two more times here. Say, Jesus, keep us dangerous. 
Come on, just one last time with all you got. Say, Jesus, keep us dangerous. Come on, I, one more time. Jesus, keep us dangerous. Come on, somebody give the Lord a shout. Amen. Come on, somebody shout. You're going to get a... You're going to want to get out of your seat tonight because it's about to get a little rowdy in the place. Stop, give me the way on my state. We're going to stay here. Not going to live with the fake. Make a mistake because God made a way here. Worldwide with a cosign. Pay no mind to the basic. I know my limit. Know how I'm feeling in the deficit adjacent. Got to talk, never swing. I never slip. The prison be shaking. I hear the people singing. Open it wide because we got a station. I walk with the lamb. Looked at his black. Restoration. We in threat level now. Southern pigs to the legions. With the blood. Now we back to the all them Roman candles, I wave my banner back and forth, spray it out, Hosanna. When in Sahara, all they asking for is where's the manna? Consider grabbing all the giants by the scruff and stuff them in the back, so hope they call me banner. Say they ain't religious, till they down and in the trenches, thirst without some quenches. Pity the man who sits the benches, all these Christians write the fences, picking lines with all them woes. All they feed on is the fences, release bombs and throw them Why you acting like a fool? This the ask the apostles getting Pharaoh out the zoo. This that gospel gospel, it's a hot one, let it stew. You getting near the Nero, got a king, no need a coup. Uh, uh, people stand dangerous. It's for promise and a threat. Threat, threat. You can't kill a man who flesh already dead and in the bed. I see Jasper looking man and the martyrs for the mess. They all stand and talk the rest. Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven basins. Don't go wasting. Got one shot, got one gospel, got the judgment we be facing. Red dots, enemy trying to snipe me. The Holy Spirit gon' bite your head now. I hear the angels of God. Hell of us, here we go. I told y'all it was going to be a good night. Are you ready for a good night? Okay, why don't you high-five two people, grab your seat. We're going to get into it. I told y'all, I told you to roll up. I told you to invite people. I wasn't playing. I told you it'd be a good night. It's going to be a great night. Acts chapter 19. I don't know if it gets better. I've been trying to decide what is my favorite chapter in the book of Acts. And I just don't know, I don't know, I don't know. They're all just way too good. We're going to dive in, though. If you're taking notes, i got to catch you up a little bit. And it's really simple how this is going to work. Uh, this last volume, there's only five issues total. This is issue two. And we got to cover ten chapters. We covered Acts 17 uh, last time we were together. And now we got to cover nine more chapters. And so we drop these things called extensions that are YouTube exclusives. And they pop on there, and it gives you all the information in between. But what I'm going to do is I'm just going to catch us up a little bit before we unpack Act 19. 
I want to go back to where we ended in Acts 17 last week for those maybe that weren't here or new to the ministry, watching online for the first time, things like that. And we're going to go back to last week, issue one in this volume, and we ended in the city of Athens. Remember, Paul's there at, in this place called Areopagus, and he's standing there with these Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, and he's preaching the gospel to them. It's a powerful display of God's power in the way that Paul approached it. I broke this down a lot more in, uh, in these extensions. It, the one I just dropped is called Following Jesus, and it really breaks down deep this. But the next chapter, Acts 18, we're like completely skipping that. So I'm going to give you like spark notes, and we're going to get through. Paul travels from Athens, and he goes 50 miles west to the highly populated city of Corinth. Acts 18 is really, really devoted to talking about what happens there in Corinth, and I'm going to do a whole extension just expounding upon that. There's a lot that happened because Paul was there for a year and a half. You can do a lot of damage when you're the Apostle Paul in a year and a half. You really can. He built the church up there. If you uh, have looked in the Bible, you can see that you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians in the New Testament. Well, he wrote those letters to the church that he planted in Acts 18 to Corinth. He then, though, goes from Corinth there in Greece, and he makes his way to a place called Centrea, right next to it. He then travels over to Ephesus. He stayed there only for a short time in Acts 18. And then he headed across the Mediterranean Sea, and he comes to Caesarea. He then by foot goes 60 miles to Jerusalem, and then he makes his way up the coast, going up through Syria, and he landed at his home church of Antioch there. Remember, Antioch in Acts 13 is there where Paul, Barnabas, some other dudes, they're there praying, worshiping the Lord. And the Holy Spirit shows up and says, hey, I want you to set apart for me Paul and Barnabas, and I want them to go do my work. Well, they launch in Acts 13 from Antioch on their first missionary journey. Anytime uh, you're reading the scriptures now, if you read the book of Acts, which I know you will after this year, it's, I, I was thinking about this. I'm like, I feel like if I don't read the book of Acts next year, I'm like sinning or something because I've gone through it so many times. And so really simple. Anytime that you see they go back to Antioch from Acts 13 on, if they go back to Antioch, it's like a reset. It's sort of like a recalibrating, getting ready, and they're about to now launch to their next missionary journey. So when they would go back to Antioch, they would always give a report. This is what God did. These were the miracles. These are the people that got saved. They would, like, take a time to kind of spotlight the, the previous journey that they were just on, and then they'd get ready to launch on the next journey. When they go here to Antioch, and they get there in Acts 18, and we're eventually going to make our way to Acts 19 here in a second, the church there hadn't seen them from the time that Paul left with Silas on that second missionary journey, hadn't seen him for somewhere in between like two to three years. They've been away from each other for a while. So I want you to imagine, because this is going to happen in our ministry. People are going to get the touch of God on their life. God is going to call them to ministry. God is going to call some people in this, in this house to be a missionary. He's going to do it, I promise you. Next year, I can guarantee God's hand is going to be on people, and he's going to start calling them to, to be missionaries. And people are like squirming now like, oh, what if he tells me to go to Africa? What if he does? What if, what if you could see revival in Africa? What if you could see millions of people because you were obedient and willing as a teenager, as a young adult, you were willing to say yes to Jesus? If you say yes to Jesus, I just told you, the Holy Spirit says yes to you. If the Holy Spirit says yes to you, that means now there's an anointing, a hand of God, and a power on you that other people are going to get touched by when you come in their presence. And there's something about walking with a humble power. 
They're nearly antonyms of each other, except with Jesus, they're not. Because the power of God and the humility that is Jesus, they only can operate when they are both together. It has to be, I'm humble, therefore God can use me in power. And think about this. If you get sent from this ministry, and then you come back two, three years later, and you're telling us about all this crazy stuff that happened. We missed you. We haven't seen you. You were like, we're one fam. You grew up in the house. Like, we used to, like, do crazy stuff together, like play ultimate frisbee, and we do all the collision battles, and write y'all room together and stuff. And then you're getting sent. That's the Apostle Paul. He was like a man of the house. He was a friend. He was a brother in the faith to them. They get sent on the journey. Hadn't seen him now for a couple years. He comes back, gives them a report, and then he's ready now, the Bible says, to launch on his third missionary journey. So it says in Acts 18, verse 23, that after spending some time there in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all of the disciples. So let me tell you how this worked. He would have come over to his hometown of Tarsus, and then he would have stopped at the churches he planted in Galatia. That's Derby and Lystra, Iconium, Pisidian, Antioch. He then is going to cut straight through the region of, region of Phrygia and Asia Minor and come to Ephesus. That's where we are now in Acts 19. One thing I want to tell you before we get into it that I think is just noteworthy is God can do a lot in a short period of time. But then there's also something about when you stay dedicated and devoted, what he can do as well. Because in Thessalonica, in Acts 17, that's the first of three cities, Paul in Acts 17 stops at Thessalonica, Berea, and Athens. When he stops at Thessalonica, though, it says that the Jews got jealous and they rallied together and they caused a riot and they pushed him out. So it says that he only preached there for three weeks, three Sabbaths is how it described in Acts 17. And look at all that God can do in just three weeks. What I need you to catch is he was in Thessalonica for three weeks. He's going to be in Ephesus for three years. There's something about consistency. Choosing to stick with the stuff with the same people in the same place. I'm going to tell you very simply, if you'll just choose to be consistent in your marriage, you won't get divorced. Meaning, if you just decide to say, hey, we can't be divorced. We are planning to stay together forever. We're going to do this. Like, till death do us part, we're going to stick together. Do you realize if you just make that decision and live by it, you'll never get divorced? Is your mind blown right now? You mean if I decide not to get divorced, I won't get divorced? Oh, my gosh, that's a new thought, isn't it? You realize, like, if a pastor will stay in the same church for an extended period of time, do you realize what God can do? in that city, what God can do with that people, if he'll have a vision and he'll have faith and he'll stay just with his hands at the plow, this is what's happening here. In Ephesus, woo! Ephesus was the hot spot to do it. Ephesus and Asia Minor would be the equivalent for us of like NYC. It was just a popping place because it had the seaport, it had the trade routes. You have to understand it's the fourth largest city of the Roman Empire next to Rome, Alexandria, and Antioch. Those are the only ones that trumpet. It's a big city. It's between 200,000 and 300,000 people that are there in Ephesus. And think about this. All that Paul could see was that's a lot of people to preach to. That's a lot of people that I get to tell Jesus about. So he doesn't stay there for three weeks like he did in Thessalonica. He stays there for three years. All of this travel, I'm just catching you up. This is what actually brings us now to Acts 19. Let me go back to verse 1. I know we read it up top, but let's establish this again. While Apollos, and I'll just explain this to you, 
Apollos, sweet dude. I'm going to deal with him in an extension and really focus on that. But what I want you to focus on right here is it says, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. Now look at this. There he found some disciples. We know by verse 7, there was 12 followers there, 12 disciples. And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Well, we already read those seven verses, so we know what happens. They're like, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Baptism of John. No, you need the baptism of Jesus. Get baptized. Hands on tongue, and they're, they're praying in tongues, and they're praying in the Spirit, and they're prophesying and saying stuff. The power of God shows up. I want you to see this, though. From these 12 dudes, the church of Ephesus started. From just 12 dudes that were willing to say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit then said yes to them, the church at Ephesus begins. And what I want you to really catch is when Paul lays his hands on them, he didn't say, hey, I'm now going to make sure you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Let me lay hands on you. We know that now because we have the scriptures. That's how it works. He laid his hands on them to confirm them in the faith. It was just to lay hands and bless them and say, they're now brothers in the faith. This is amazing. Here in Ephesus, there's 12 men that love Jesus and want to live their life for him. So he lays his hands to confirm them, and the Holy Spirit shows up and says, no, I'm going to do better. I'm going to confirm them right now with power. I'm going to confirm them by giving them my spirit now fully. They're now going to operate not just in a confirmation of faith here, but in fullness. So they begin to speak in tongues. They begin now to prophesy. Well, Paul thought, well, hey, church is being planted. Only one thing I can do. Look at verse 8. So Paul entered the synagogue and, and spoke boldly. He's like, if we're going to start a church, it's time to preach. He said, it says here that Luke wrote, he spoke boldly there for three months. And he's preaching with all he's got. Of the three years, he's preaching there for three months. And he's arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They pushed back. They disagreed. They had a different opinion. They weren't going to go with it. And they refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. I'm going to keep reading, but just catch this. It says they publicly maligned the way. The way is what Christians called themselves there in the New Testament church. They were first called that in Acts 9. And here's what I want you to catch, which is so amazing. I love when Jesus changes somebody's life. Because in Acts 9, do you know when it's first described? It's described as this man named Saul of Tarsus was going and finding all of the people that belonged to the way, Christians, so he could abuse them, torment them, imprison them, kill them. Are you, I want to make sure you get it. Saul of Tarsus, I forgot. Okay. Do you know this? I'm make, it'll hit hard. Saul of Tarsus. And Paul, the apostle, did the same person. We get that, right? So in Acts 9, I'll use the correct name now, Paul is tormenting, persecuting the way. What does it say now in Acts 19? It says that now he, who's a part of the way, is receiving this refusal and this obstinance and being pushed against. Isn't it so incredible that at one point Paul was against the way, but now he's a part of the way? Isn't it amazing that at one point, you might have spoken against the church, but now you're a part of the church. Isn't it incredible that one, one, one point you said you'd never step foot in this place, but somehow the Spirit of God draw you, and you, you were trying to even resist, but now you find yourself, when you used to make fun of people that lifted up their hands, now you find yourself lifting up holy hands unto God and saying, Jesus is the way. Is there any people that just want to celebrate that you used to go against the way, but now you're going with it? It's exciting here. Okay. Let me keep reading. So they publicly maligned the way, and so Paul left them. He's like, okay, sheesh. 
I'm going to go preach somewhere else. So he took the disciples. That's just the 12 dudes. He's like, okay. The Bible was always said they'd shake the, they'd shake the dust, they'd kick the dust there, they'd shake it off, and they'd keep going. He's like, let's go, dudes. He takes the 12 dudes with them, and they had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Now, I'm going I'm to talk a lot about this in the extension for this chapter but basically, rather than preaching in the synagogue anymore after he did that for three months, he's like, we outie. We're getting out of here. And you know what they did? They rented a town hall in the city, and they started having church. They rented a town hall that at those specific hours, which I'll talk about later, no one was using it. So they rented it, and they started hosting church, the Bible says, the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all of the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. How incredible is it that with 12 dudes that said yes to Jesus, they could plant a brand new church. I, Jesus doesn't need 12. He can use only one. He'll just use one of you that says, hey, I'm here. I say yes to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit looks at you and says, well, then I say yes to you. And from there, then, God can begin to do miraculous things through your life. These 12 men show up with Paul. And they're, they're, they're in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And Paul's just preaching. And Paul's telling them more about Jesus. He's, I'm sure he probably told his testimony. He's like, man, and I was on the road to Damascus in this bright light. And he's telling them. And then they're telling their testimony. And then I, begin, I, I bet you they begin to just pray and worship and speak in tongues and fill the place with God's presence. And you know what happens? It wasn't 12 anymore. A move of God will never stay with the same amount of people. There is somewhere in there something happening. There's a stifling of the Spirit. There's an unwillingness to acknowledge the fullness of the truth of God's Word. There's something there because anytime I read the Bible where Jesus is preached, people show up to hear about it. When Jesus is magnified, when Jesus is glorified, when Jesus is exalted, people get healed, people get changed, marriages come back together, families are restored, people start going the way. What does it say here? This is a phenomenon. It says that right there in Asia Minor, the province of Asia, everybody, this is crazy. Do you realize what I just said there? I said in Ephesus alone, Ephesus is in Asia Minor. Ephesus alone is two to 300,000 people. But it says as Paul here is preaching and they're gathering in this lecture hall, that it, let me, I'm going to make sure. I, yep, there's the word. All of the Jews and Greeks, all of them, every single one of them in Asia, that's a lot more than two to 300,000, they hear the word of the Lord. Why? Because Jesus is never supposed to be contained within you. You are not a prison. We did a series many, many years ago at this church. We called it the God Cage. Do you realize you're the only one that can keep God quiet? You're the only one that can keep him inside of you. But there's something about when the fullness of that Holy Spirit comes where you open up those cell prison doors and you go, I got to let them out. So what started happening? Paul starts preaching. The 12 starts getting hyped. They start inviting people. They start going to the streets and telling people. Next thing you know, word has spread all throughout here. The Bible says the province of Asia. And for two years here, they're in this place now. And they're continuing at this hall of Tyrannus. They ain't in the synagogue anymore. 
See, that's where they would always talk about the things of God. They didn't go to the synagogue. They rented their own space. And I love this. It's a beautiful thing because we were never supposed to be contained in the four walls of the church in the first place. But even more than that, I need you to know that there is never, ever any record throughout Scripture where there's a time when you're preaching and God says, no, 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 don't do that. Sorry, you can't do that here. I think there's ways to approach things. But see, if they were told no in the synagogue, then they're going to go rent something. If they got kicked out of that place, they're going to go meet somewhere else. They're going to meet in this person's house. Acts 17, they pull out, Paul and Silas are there, and they pull out Jason out of the house. Why? Because they're in search for Paul and Silas. They pull Jason out. What do you think happened after Paul and Silas left? Do you think the, the church stopped having church? No, in Jason's house, I bet you that thing was just exploding. There's never a point in which we stop having church. There's never a point in which we stop telling people about Jesus. There's never a point in which we keep quiet. I don't care what a principal tells you. I don't care what, what, what a, um, a legal uh, government official tells you. I don't care what social media tries to say. I love a lot of times it'll, ha it'll happen with, uh, I'll see some things that some of our leaders will post. It could be either with missions or prison ministry or things like that. And when I try to go see it, when it goes their story on Instagram, it'll like hide it and it'll basically give me a warning like, do you actually want to see this? Well, now that you hid it from me, I want to see it even more. There's never a point in which there's a no to talk about Jesus. He's good to talk about any time, any place. I don't care what anybody else tells you. Next time they try to tell you no, you say, well, listen, you might not know him, but Pastor Dave said. <laughs> no, don't do that. Use your own name. You, you tell him, hey, you can, you can take that up with God. There's never a point in which I'm going to keep my mouth shut. You know what really stands out to me, though, when we just read verse 9? Verse 9, it said that some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe. They publicly maligned the way. What really stands out to me with this is that the last time that Paul was in Ephesus, he was only there for a short time. Do you know what the Bible says? In the previous chapter, Luke records in chapter 18, verse 20, that Paul is needing to leave, and it says that when they asked him, Look at the words here. To spend more time with them. He declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it's God's will. And then he set sail and he left Ephesus. Okay, I missed it. What's the point? In Acts 18, they begged him not to leave. And he kept his promise. He said, listen, I got to go, but if it's the Lord's will, I'll come back. In Acts 18, they said, please don't leave. In Acts 18, they said, we want to hear more of what you have to say. In Acts 18, they said, we're hungry for the truth. In Acts 18, they said, Paul, stay with us. And he said, I will come back if the Holy Spirit, if the Lord leads me, if it's God's will, I'll come back. So he comes back. But in Acts 19, it says they become obstinate and they refuse to believe. In Acts 18, they begged him, don't leave. We have to keep hearing what you have to say. But in Acts 19, they said, yeah, yeah, now that we've heard it, we don't believe it anymore. What is this about the human condition that it's easier to desire what we don't have than appreciate what we do? It's easier to desire what you do not have than it is to truly appreciate what you do. But you know what I've learned? 
It's not desire that unlocks amazement. It's appreciation that unlocks amazement. Because if you can't appreciate the little things that God does, why would you be amazed by the big things? We become calloused. God heals somebody of cancer, and we're like, cool. And then we move on like it wasn't a big deal. No, you don't understand. There was a tumor in their body that if God didn't touch it, they were going to die. Well, you know, I think if God casts a demon out of somebody and I'll see that, I'll be impressed. No, I, 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 I've seen that, and that won't keep you impressed. For a moment, you might be like, oh, that's crazy, that's cool, but you won't stay impressed. If I see somebody raised from the dead, that'll really keep me. No, because if you're not faithful when you don't see somebody raised from the dead, that's not going to change you enough to think that that one thing is going to keep you alive enough. If you can't appreciate God and who he is and what he's done now, you'll never be amazed with what he can do later. It's not desire that unlocks something. See, in Acts 18, they desired it, but they desired what they couldn't have. In Acts 19, they had it, but they couldn't appreciate that he came back for them. And I just think that's maybe a word for some people in the room that I think we need to lean into this simple truth. Ask yourself this. Do I truly appreciate the Bible being preached here every week? Like the truth of God's word, do I appreciate it? Because when you feel convicted, you feel convicted because Jesus loves you so much. That's why. He loves you too much to leave you how you are where you are. Because he knows he's called you to something greater. But do you have like this deep longing and appreciation for the word of God being preached? Because see, they wanted to hear more, but once they got more, they couldn't handle the truth. And if I think if we're honest, the truth is hard to handle. There's a crucifixion that takes place in every single one of us all the time where we have to die to ourselves to truly take it on in. But what I love about Acts 19, as we can even see today, and we see this in our church, is that although some were obstinate and some were against the way, and they, it says they maligned themselves, which means they came against and misaligned themselves. The Bible tells us that the word couldn't be stopped. It kept spreading. So it's very simple. Jesus will be preached, and Jesus will be known in all the earth. It's whether or not you're on the train when it gets to the finish line called heaven. And it ain't stopping. You either hop on board and you ride the J train all the way to heaven. Or you're going to get left. Because I just, oh, maybe I read it wrong. Did it say, let me check again. Did it say that after those that were obstinate made a little fissy, what's it called? A, a hissy, hissy fit? That's what it's called. A hissy fit with Paul. And then Paul's like, <laughs> I better stop preaching the Bible now. Some people are mad at it. I better stop telling the truth now. Some people are mad at it. Or did it say that they were obstinate, but see, they missed out because all of Asia heard the name of Jesus. Get on board the J train or don't. It's a one-way ticket. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians, it's appointed unto man to die once, and after that, face judgment. It's a one-way ticket. You don't come back as a butterfly. You don't come back as somebody else. There ain't no purgatory. Read the Bible. Turn on Bible man, listen to all the way through. You'll never hear that. It's a one-way ticket. Heaven or hell, one-way ticket. I love that the word spreads throughout Asia because 
the gospel will always be confirmed by a move of the Holy Spirit. Remember, you say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit says yes to you. It will always be confirmed by the hand of the Spirit on where the presence of God is being stirred as his word is being preached. So it says here in verse 11, it says that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had been touched, that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. He ain't even laying hands on people. If a handkerchief touched him, an apron, something you cook with, if that touched him, if that was touched on somebody else, they were getting healed. I'll never forget when I was preaching in Nashville two summers ago. And uh, this group came up to me of young people, and they gave me a bandana. I don't have the bandana. I'm going to explain to you why. This is just, this is just our weird one bandana. But they gave me this bandana. And they said, hey, we wanted, to, we wanted to give you this. It's our team color. We wanted you to have it for the week because in Nashville, they go real hard, real hard. I mean, when they're worshiping, by the time they finish after an hour of worship, they would sometimes worship an hour and a half before I even start preaching. And you guys know me. I preach like 15 minutes. So you couple an hour and a half of worship and an hour and a half of preaching, and then we'd start the altars. And when they finished worship, they were dripping sweat. And they had these, like, custom worship towels with their names on them. And all of their team that worked for them, and they'd be like, we're just wiping the sweat off of them. Real intense. So I'm showing up, Michigan boy, and I'm showing up, I'm like, these people are so intense. But I was, I was like, let's get it. And I, so I just randomly said, I was like, I need to get one of those worship sweat towel things. So this group of young people come up to me and they're like, hey, we obviously can't get you one of those. But here's a, a bandana with our team color. We want you to be able to have this so you can wipe the sweat off your face and everything and use it and preach with it. And they said, we laid hands on it. And we prayed over it. And we just believe for God's hand to be on you as you preach this week. This is teenagers telling me this. Don't limit how God can speak through you at a young age. Because you know what I did with that? I had it on me. I used it. I preached with it all week. At the end of the week, I had the whole room lay hands on it. And we all prayed over it. And as soon as I flew back to Michigan, there's a brother in our church that was nearing death with cancer. See, the testimony of what we're called to do is not be God. The testimony is to have faith. And I said, if it could happen with Paul, why can't it happen with us? And I went over to Scott Novak, a dear brother in the faith's house. He's with Jesus now. And I put this bandana on him that the whole camp had prayed for. And I just said, Brother Scott, the whole camp has believed in faith and they've been praying for you. And Jesus is going to heal you. 
he went sh home shortly after to be with Jesus. And I think where we start getting caught up is we're like, okay, I thought you said God still does it today. And how does this work? I want you to understand this. Paul didn't heal people. Jesus healed people. We don't heal people. Jesus heals people. But what did, it, what did the scripture say? It said that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Look, at God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. It wasn't Paul who did the miracles. It was Paul that had faith. So you know what I did? I couldn't show up to perform the miracle. I could show up to bring the faith. I could believe that God could heal him, and God did, just not the way I wanted. His body was so ridden with cancer, it was heal him a hundred or take him home because there reaches a point in which you just can't go on like that anymore. It's not what any of us wanted, but it's what Jesus had planned. So you... You wonder when I had that much faith and there was this big thing in Nashville and I showed up and we laid hands and we did it and they didn't get healed. Has that stopped me from praying for other people to get healed? No, since then I run into people in, the, in, in, in restaurants and wherever I go. And Next thing you know, I find out their story and I lay hands on them and I believe in the same way that God has healed me of cancer. God can heal you of cancer. People have driven and they've come here driven miles and miles away to come here. And we've prayed for people that have walked in this house that want to be healed. And there is this, this portion of humanity where we can live with disappointment, but we have to recognize we don't perform miracles. We bring faith. So when I look at this story where it says that aprons and handkerchiefs were healing people, what I need you to catch is you don't know the time and the place when if you will just be obedient, God is going to use you to touch somebody's life. So if you stop praying just because one time you prayed, had faith, and God didn't do it the way you wanted him to, then you're going to miss the next time that he's ready to do it. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. And here he comes into this city. And I think that this is just so important to understand. Because he's in a city where the Bible says he's not just healing people. It's miracles. He's casting out demonic spirits. He's coming and, and handkerchiefs are casting out demonic. Aprons that you wear to cook with are casting out demonic spirits. So my question is then, if demonic spirits are coming out of people in this city, like this, rapidly, demons, what condition was this city in? So you got to understand where they come here in Ephesus, it was just like Athens or just like any other pagan city in the Roman Empire. There was images of false gods all over the city, idols in people's homes. There was a temple there where they worshipped their mythological god, Artemis which later Acts 19 talks about. What, what does that tell us? That tells us that the demonic is roaming this city. Witchcraft was common in this city. Demons were attracted to this city like dogs to a bone. 
darkness hover over this city. Wherever Paul walked with the light of Jesus, very clearly it was in a dark place. So Paul walks in with that kind of faith into this city. And as he's walking around, and the Bible says as he's casting out these demonic spirits, he's healing people, the handkerchief, the aprons, all that stuff, the people are perking up. And those there in Ephesus, they're watching, and amazement is filling their soul. Why? Because they're watching the sick healed, demons come out, they're in awe because they're seeing real signs and wonders. See, they were all about that. They were all about magic and the mysterious and, and calling upon this and this and that. And they were the kind that would get around a Ouija board or a crystal ball or something crazy. They were all about that. So when they're seeing it happen in their city, they're like, okay, we listening now. And I love how Paul writes in Romans. He says that where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. What does that mean? That where there is witchcraft and there are demons and there is darkness. Can I tell you that the spirit of the living God was full with just one man. And one man could walk through an entire city full of that much darkness, that much disease, that much depression. And one man can walk and cast the light of Jesus onto all of that darkness. I wonder if one man can do that in Ephesus. Nearly two to 300,000 people. What could we do in Emily City, Michigan with like 3,000? It was Paul and the 12. What can we do with this? This is an army compared to what they had. They begin to walk in this city and they begin to speak to the demonic, begin to talk to demons like they were dogs. Didn't even need to do much. Didn't need to get hyped. Didn't need to get crazy. Just set it on them. Demons coming out of people. This city was ridden with demonic spirits. And you know why? The demonic only lives in a space where there's an invitation. So there was these Jewish magicians the Bible talks about. And they were going around and they were like, they were charlatans pretenders, fakers. And they were going around and performing like fake exorcisms, casting demons out of people and, and making this big show of like, look at the supernatural. And, and they're going around, they're like, and they're, I don't know, I'm making it up right now. And they're, they bring this demon out and, and the person's like, oh, going with the show and doing the whole thing. And, and, and Paul's like, and moves on to the next one. You feeling me? They're putting on some big show, making it look like it's some supernatural phenomenon. So when Paul walks in and he does the real thing, there's somebody when it's the real thing. But see, they couldn't fully understand it. Just like in Acts chapter 8, Simon the sorcerer, he's like, give me what you got. They wanted to perform the same trick. So what they do, it says in verse 13, that some, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits, right? They're pretending they're going around. They tried to invoke the name of Jesus. They wanted to use the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. So they would say this. They walk up with their show, and they say, In the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. So see what this was. 
is these dudes going around, they're not bought in. They're just trying to use what they've seen done. It was seven brothers. Seven brothers who their dad was the chief priest there, the Jewish chief priest in Ephesus. And they're going around, they put on this show, and they're doing their thing, and they, they're seeing, okay, that's how Paul did it. Okay, so we're just going to go try to copy that same thing. Yo, demon, I command you in the name, what was that guy's name? Uh, Jesus, that we heard Paul preaching the other day, come out. What does it say in verse 14? That these seven sons of Sceva, that's their dad, a Jewish chief priest, they go around doing this. And one day, that demon, that evil spirit inside of somebody they were speaking to, a body, they're speaking to a, a shell, a person. The evil spirit answered them. Jesus I know. And Paul, I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them. And he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Think about how this word is spread around town. Everybody's like, can you believe this? Skiba, sons? Skiba. Like the high priest, Skiba? Yeah. Those dudes that they, remember how they go around, they're so powerful, and they cast out all those demons all the time? Yeah, ever since Paul got in town. Paul walking around doing this. So they just kept doing what they always been doing. But you know what I've realized now? What? They've been faking. You a faker. This guy's a phony. Because when they did it this time, they got their butt whooped. Or as my son's eyes, I would say, their booty butt. <laughs> it got whooped. They got the snot kicked out of them. This dude who they were trying to cast a demon out of him, he got so riled up, they couldn't do a thing. We watch him, Paul walking around, he's just like, hanky this, taking his apron, just kind of. Swishing it on people. He was just there cooking some stew. Demon comes over, just swishes them. Paul didn't even say anything. He's just touching them with articles of clothing. And these dudes walking up, making some big scene. And this, this demon inside of this dude jumps on him, just whoops the snot out of him until they're naked and bleeding. Can you imagine how strong that it's just it's ripping the clothing right off? Ripping every bit of clothing off these dudes' bodies, these brothers. Bleeding bruised, slapped up silly, and they running out of their house. And now, if you wonder if this kind of stuff can happen, I'm going to give you a short version. One, I've actually been a part of it. I've seen it. I've seen demons cast out of people. Did you see it? No, no, no. But demons have talked to us. Like, I've encountered it. But I've encountered it in unique ways, too. I'll even tell you, Friday night, I was at the MLA City uh, homecoming game. And I was there and as I'm, everyone's leaving, this, this person walked up to me. And I'm not going to describe them or anything, because I'm, I, but the description is scary in itself, this person. And they walk up, and they're there. It's like, what's up, man, everything? I'm just like, dang it, this person knows me, and I don't know them. And that happens to me a lot. I'm like, hey, guy. You know, it's like, what do you say? And he goes, hey, no, remember, I'm this person. I'm like, 
dang it, that did not click at all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like you just go with it. I'm like, I'm going with it right now. Long story short, I say, how you been? I've been living. You know, I've just been living. And I'm thinking, what does that even mean? So I just respond with, with I know, man, living for Jesus, there's nothing better. It, like, I don't, it just came out. And he looks at me and goes, Jesus? Why would I want to live for Jesus? He goes, I'm the all-powerful. All authority is within me. I am the highest power. Well, this conversation took a turn. <laughs> I make light of it, but I'm going to tell you a long story short. This person kept inching on me. And the way they were wearing their coat, it, I, could, I could see like a concealed weapon in my mind almost there. I began to visualize myself being shot and in the yard. I don't, I don't, I'm not like that. Some of you are like, oh, that happens to me. It doesn't happen to me. I don't think like that. I'm not like imagining myself dying. I, I'm just not like that. I'm not saying if you are, there's anything wrong. I'm just not. People were saying goodbye to me as they left, and I was telling myself, this is the last time I'm going to see these people. I just said goodbye to this and this person for the last time. I just said goodbye to this person. My wife had just left. I didn't even get to say goodbye. I'm like, I didn't even get to say goodbye. She was taking a picture with the whole group. And as I'm standing there, this person got closer, and they were bigger than me. They definitely could have whooped the snot out of me. That's guaranteed. And they're closer and closer and closer. And I, in my mind, was full of death. I'm never like that. In my mind... I couldn't tell my brain to move. Multiple people in our church that are like big dudes were walking by, and all they needed to go do was say, hey, would you stay here with me right now? I want you to meet this person. I couldn't get my mind to tell my body or mouth to do it. I was paralyzed. I was so full of fear. I was stuck. And this person began to dominate and control the conversation with their arrogance and pride like I have not heard a human being talk in a long time. Because there's like pride when you're young and it sounds stupid. And there's pride when you're this old and you're in your 40s. And it was just a different level. Went on and on. Finally, I just said, I was like, Lord, I just want to get out of here with my life. I was thinking about dying so much. I just want to get out of here. Please just get me out. I want to see my, my family again. I want to be with the ministry. Just get me out. And I turned into a huge, just huge pansy. And I was like, I just want to be done. And so I kind of was just like, how about them lions? You know, I just like changed the conversation completely. I was like, so you married and where do you work? And I just, I, I was going down that G, I was on the J train with him. And I was like, bro, get on. And I'm, I'm, I'm like pushing it. And then he started hitting me with stuff. I'm like, I'm out. Give me out. Give me out. And as I stood there, paralyzed with fear, I began to pray in the spirit. I said, Holy Spirit, please help me. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? You know what the Holy Spirit... <laughs> this came to my mind. Holy Spirit asked me, I could just, it was like a question that kind of rose in me. What would Paul do? Oh, I was like, dang it, that is not what I wanted to hear. <laughs> I thought, Paul would not let this demon roam free in this city. So the ones that were finally, there was a couple, some of them were getting ready to leave. And I was like, oh, God, oh, God, I'm watching some of our leaders that were there. They're leaving. I'm like, I'm left with this dude. I ain't, I ain't going home. 
They came back and they're standing there. We talk later, they're like, we had no idea. We had no idea there was anything even wrong. I said, pastors always taught us you tremble underneath the table so nobody knows. And I'm just there inside, I'm trembling. They're like, you carried yourself? I was like, no, I was trembling. And then we talk about it later. And I said, boys, the spirit of the living God came upon me. I started speaking with authority and I go, listen. I said, Jesus is the dividing line. And I said, you stand on one side and I stand on another. And the moment you approached me, there was an evil and a darkness about you that is Satan himself and is the demonic. I said, you are filled with, covered with, all around you. I sense the demonic. And as a child of the living God, I'm going to tell you, that is not going to exist in this moment. or this. It got to this point. This lady's sitting there in the, in the bleacher, and, and he, she was a little bit bigger, so she, I, and older, so on her own, she couldn't move and get over the bleacher. So she's stuck there with this guy pressed against her. And she finally goes, could you please move? I just want to get out of here. So by the end, we're there, we lay our hands, and one of, the, one of the reasons that you lay your hands on people is to cast out the demonic. Unless you've got a hanky on hand, then you can just use that. And we just begin to speak with the authority of Jesus. This is what's happened in this city. There was a demonic that had infiltrated Ephesus, a very real demonic. And it would intimidate, and it was completely taken over every part of the city. And I just think as you look at these guys, these seven men that they're going around and they're invoking the name of Jesus, but they weren't connected to the name they were using. If you're going to operate in this kind of power that requires God, you have to have a relationship with God. I'd almost explain it like this way. Think about like a power tool. You got a power tool. You know why it's called a power tool, Right? It requires power. It requires a battery. Without a battery, you know what it's called? Well, a paperweight. This is a paperweight. A tool. I mean, I could take it, I could put it, and I could, with like a screwdriver, twist it. But you have to have a battery to make it work. The thing you have to understand with any power tool, though, as you go brand to brand, whatever it is, there's a specific battery that works with that specific tool. So, for instance, if I were to take the battery from that Ryobi and I were to go into my Makita, don't work. It's pretty simple. But you put it in there, works. I just think so many of you have to understand this. You look at the seven suns, some of you are trying to do the same thing. You live your life based upon your grandma's prayers. And you live your life based upon your parents' faith. Some of you don't have that opportunity I just listed. You might try to live your life based upon your pastor. You maybe live your life and the power that you think your friend has next to you, and they have this relationship with God, and I'm so glad I got my friend. But you have to understand that their battery don't work in your tool. That these seven sons were going around... And they're trying to use the name, and they're trying to use Paul's power. But that ain't how it works with God. God wants that you to have a personal relationship with him so you can have personal power. I can tell you all day long the story of how I was there at the football game or other encounters that we've had with people or healings that have happened, all that stuff. But you can't use my power. God's given this to me. It's the spirit of God inside of me for me. 
I can't tap into my dad's power, my mom's power, my brother's power. I can tell you, my son's power when they pray at times. I can't. I have to have a personal relationship with Jesus. They're going around using his name, but they didn't have his power because they didn't have a relationship. So here's what happens. Personal relationship. Personal power. Name that song. Give a hand for Luke. Thanks for helping me, bro. You can't go, hey, I saw, I saw one of the pastors do this on a Wednesday. I'm going to do that. You can go, hey, I saw one of the pastors do this, and I have a personal relationship with Jesus, and they taught us that the reason we lay hands on people is because the sick can be healed and demons can be cast out. And so because I know the scriptures and because I know Jesus and because I have a personal relationship, and if they did it, that means I can do it. If Paul did it, that's why they did it, which means I can do it. Personal relationship, personal power, put the battery in, you can do it. But that's why. You can do it but only if you have a personal power. So I want you to notice here in, in verse 17 that it wasn't because of miracles that it sparked revival that is about to take place in Ephesus. It's actually because of fear. When these sons of Sceva got the snot kicked out of them, it says that the fear of the Lord, it shows us, swept over you know what it did? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the Bible says. So when the fear of the Lord hit Ephesus, there was a revival repentance that began to take place. They began to see that these men were trying to play God and that Paul wasn't. Paul was just a humble servant full of power. The 12 dudes, just humble servants that received that power. So it says here in verse 17 that when they be it became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed, look at this, because of that fear, it brought repentance. Many of those who believed, they turned, now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery, they brought their scrolls together and they burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. After all these people came to know Jesus as Lord, they started rounding up anything that they were associated with that was keeping them from now following Jesus. They're like, Jesus is Lord. We want to follow him. We don't want to live this way. And they wanted a clear cut. They wanted a clean break from anything that would keep them from following Jesus. You know what they did? They took prized possessions. They took things of great worth. They took possibly things with memory, whatever it was. They took it and they got rid of it so they wouldn't go back. They didn't want to return to who they used to be before now knowing Jesus. See, these scrolls, they were filled with demonic incantations. They were magical sayings and words and things like that. They would even put them, roll them up in small little containers and wear them as amulets. And they would have these incantations and these spells and 
This is how they would perform their magic. And the Bible says here that they added up the value written down of these magic spells. And it came to be worth 50,000 drachmas. 50,000, uh, let me explain it this way. A drachma is the equivalent of like one day's labor. You're going to work for a whole day, and that time you're going to earn a drachma. Let's do the math. How much, was, how much was this worth to them to go forward and not go back? If you were to take 50,000 drachmas, and if they work seven days a week, that's 365 days a year, you divide 50,000 by 350, that means that these were worth 136 years of labor wages. Let's say they take a day off. Let's say they go seven Sorry, six days a week. 50,000 divided by now 312, six days a week. 160 years of wages. Scholars believe it's somewhere in the realm that these scrolls were worth 150 years of wages. And, and the Bible shows us that they began to calculate how much they're worth. Why'd they add it up? Why didn't they just burn it, get rid of it, be like, I don't want to go back? Why'd they add it up? Were they getting ready to put it on eBay and Facebook Marketplace? I think people do this at times. They're like, you know, I want to get rid of this. Maybe I'll try to sell it. I know that this might be holding me back from God. I can maybe sell it. Why would you want to sell a possession that kept you possessed? Why would you want to put in somebody else's possession? What kept you possessed? Why did they add up the value? Why did they want to know what it was worth? Why didn't they just burn it, get rid of it? I believe, Scripture does not indicate this, but I think if we were to speculate, I believe that they wanted to add up the value and know what it was worth so that they themselves and all the onlookers would be able to recognize that they valued their own souls more than they did their scrolls. That they could stop and recognize that what these scrolls are worth is very little in comparison to what their soul is worth. And that if they keep living based upon these scrolls, then their soul was going to have to be in hell forever. So what does the Bible say they did? They got rid of them. They came. And they got rid of them. And, and what I just did is what a lot of times we want to do. I'll get rid of some. And I, I'll do it a little and see how, you know, how, how we can play it out here. But see, they recognized that as much as this was worth, it was a much greater cost to their soul to be in hell. It was a much greater cost for their soul to burn than their scrolls to burn. So they recognize this. Jesus saves my soul. 
I burn the scroll. If Jesus will take care of my soul, then I can take care of the scrolls. What's your scrolls? See, you can't take care of your soul. Only Jesus can. That's why we entrust Jesus with our soul, but you can't take care of the scroll. And how many, how many times and how many things are there in our lives that we're hanging on to so dearly, but I'm going to tell you the value of them is very little compared to your soul. It is worth very little. It, it, it is just so small in, the com in comparison to what your soul is worth. And we live our life for now for the scroll rather than forever for our soul. What I love about when we make bold steps, 12 men, bold step to follow Jesus, receive the Spirit, they begin to meet right there in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. The word spread through Asia. Gospel goes forth. The church is being built. Now all of these magicians and these, these witches and these warlocks and all these people are coming. They're burning their scrolls. You know what happens? It says in verse 20, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. When they started burning, the word started spreading. When they started getting rid of all of this stuff, Jesus started making sure that everyone would know what can happen in the life of somebody who's willing to go all the way with him. The problem is many of us aren't. We want to hang on to the scroll and our soul, but that's not how it works. Jesus says, if you will burn the scroll, then I can keep your soul. And I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't want to just be dangerous for a day. I don't want to be dangerous for the year 2023. My prayer is 2023, four, five, six, to my last breath, Jesus, would you keep us dangerous? You want to stay on fire on the inside? Sometimes you're going to have to set fire on the outside. You want to burn for God on the inside? You might have to burn some things up on the outside. And that's what we're going to do tonight. We got a cooking hot fire in the back right now. I've come, you've come to cast anything off, any restraint, anything that might be keeping us from God to get rid of it. The phrase is burn the ships, not return, go forth. But you know what it starts with tonight? It starts with some people in the room saying, I want to make Jesus Lord. Why would you ever burn the scroll unless you recognize that your soul has been saved. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes in this place. If you're here tonight and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus, that means you don't have a personal power to walk out this life. If you're here tonight and you know that Jesus does not have your whole self, he does not have all that you are. And you want to make him Lord of your life. Then I want to give you the opportunity right now to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And Jesus right now is going to save your soul. Every single week we pray with people and they give their life to Jesus. He's looking for all of you, not part. He's looking for all of you. 
So if you're here tonight and you acknowledge that you do not have a relationship with God, that Jesus does not have all of you, then I want you to make a bold step. I want you to get out of your seat right now. I want you to come stand right here with me at this altar and decide right now that Jesus is Lord of your life. Come now if that's you. I look at the 12 disciples that were there when Paul arrived. 12 that said, we'll do it. I look at the witches and the warlocks that said they would do it. And I want to give an opportunity if there's just one person. Last week I had the amazing opportunity. I just prayed with one person. I'm going to give that opportunity. Anyone. Why don't you do this? Would you stand on your feet across this place? Obviously, very simply, then I'm going to make the assumption here that you're saying that you're right with God, which is amazing to me. I want to lead a ministry of people that say I'm right with God. But I also recognize we're human and we have failure and we're frail and we make mistakes. But I'm going to assume because no one stepped forward that you are right with God, you have a relationship with him, which means now the next step is we just want to get rid of the things that are keeping us back. Get rid of the things that are causing us to go the wrong way. We want to go the way. So we're going to pray together. And the team's just going to lead us here for a second and worship. And then we're going to go burn the junk out of a bunch of stuff. And we're going to light this candle. I think it's the phrase. But in your own way, would you just worship the Lord as I pray? And I'm going to pray over this message. Those that might even receive it later. Those that need to make this step. Those that might even, they might even find this message. You can bring your stuff right here to Gateway Assembly and we will burn it for you. You can come any day, any time, and we'll burn it. You want to take a step forward, this is your moment. But I pray for those in the room and those that will watch later. I pray for the souls of people. God, you're desperate and you're crying out for people's souls. You want the souls of your people to be in relationship, communion, and in your presence. It's, see, our body's just a shell like that drill. It's just a shell until you put the battery in. It doesn't actually have any power. Lord, I thank you that our soul, that our spirit can be full of that power. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you come and you can meet us in such a way like tonight that even though our body stays dead and here on earth, our soul is with you forever. Our spirit is with you, Jesus. We thank you for that. I bless everyone listening as they step forth, even some that might watch this later, from death to life. Those in the room that maybe they're troubled, they're struggling, they need a touch of heaven on them. I ask Holy Spirit, come and meet them right now. Meet us in a powerful way. Teach us. I, I, I pray this prayer honestly. Jesus, teach us how to value our souls more than scrolls. Make that a prayer of your heart right now. Jesus, teach us how to value our souls more than our fleeting, unimportant scrolls. I bless your holy and awesome name, Jesus. Amen.